And so at long last, we come to the end of the Lost and Found series. We have this week and we have next week. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, um, either like an actual hold it in your hand Bible or hold it on your device Bible. If you'll go ahead and find Luke 15. What we're going to do is we're going to take the next two weeks and we're going to split this chapter into two sections. But let me just encourage you with this. Um, Luke 15 is one sitting. So if we were there when Jesus delivered these three stories, it's all at one time, okay? Um, I wish that there was a way that we could do all of it in one day, but I don't think you're going to stay long enough for that. So what we're going to do is we're going to split it up. Today we're going to be looking at the first two stories. Stories are just parables, right? Stories are just parables. That's, um, Jesus used parables all the time. And what I love about parables is, and if you're a teacher in the room, you do this. If, actually, if you're a parent, you do this as well. You try to explain concepts that are hard maybe to grasp, but you, you explain them through something that people are already familiar with, um, analogies, that kind of thing. So these are three stories, these three parables that Jesus is going to tell. They're all about lost things. Let me ask you this question. Um, what kind of things do you lose? Right, uh, keys, every, keys all the time. Um, phones. Uh, I love it when people lose their glasses on their head. I love that, right? I used to make, oh, don't be pointing people out, Joe. Um, <laughs> flashlights, your mind, oh, we just went to a whole other level. We'll have to come back to that another time. Um, I, I used to make fun of people that lost their, uh, their glasses on their head until one day I lost my cell phone. And, and I said to the person I was talking to, I can't find my cell phone. They were like, you're talking to me on it. Oh, because I was like on the phone. I felt my butt and it wasn't there. It's ever happened to you? You're like, wait, where is, oh, I'm on it. So um, maybe uh, nobody, nobody said this, but um, you lose your children. Yeah, I, I felt the judgmental stuff coming out. Let me just say this. If you've never lost your children, you don't have children. When you have children, there are always moments where you're just like, wait, you, I, wait, I thought you had her. I thought you, wait, we're, oh, they're in the other room. That happens all the time, right? We lose things all the time. And what Jesus is going to talk about in these three stories is what happens when things get lost. So we're going to read Luke chapter 15, 1 through 10, and I'm just going to share with you three observations, three observations uh, that we get from these 10 verses. Let's start in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Um, I'm going to I promise I won't pick this apart verse by verse, but again, I've told you, context is king. You've got to understand what's going on, who he's talking to. So um, right away in verse 1, we see one group of people, the tax collectors and the sinners, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I want to point you back, if you're looking on your Bible, um, I want to point you back to the very last sentence of chapter 14. The very last thing that Jesus said in chapter 14 to the religious leaders was, let him who has ears to hear here. And then in verse 1, we find out who's actually there to hear Jesus. It's the tax collectors and the sinners. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I wanted to go down an entirely different path, different path, but I'm not going to. But I'll just drop this little truth bombshell on you that God dropped on me. In every crowd, there are two types of people. One type comes to hear Jesus. The other type comes to accuse Jesus. Which type are you? 
right? Are you hungry to hear what Jesus has to say? Are you the one that's going to pick apart everything that Jesus tries to say? There's only two, and we can't even go, that's all I have to say. Okay, let's just keep going from there. You're like, please make it better. That was pretty good. Verse 3. Oh, here's what they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told this parable. That's why the first two verses are so important. The reason he's telling this parable is because of what the Pharisees just muttered. They said, I can't, let's just say it in our terms. I can't believe Jesus hangs out with those people. I can't believe he hangs out with those people. Does he not know who they are? And so because they're muttering that, Jesus tells this, this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or at least who do not think they need to repent because of who he's talking to. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, I know right away you're thinking 10 silver coins. That's like a dime or a nickel or a quarter. If I lost a quarter, even a quarter, would I do what this lady's getting ready to do to find a quarter? Probably not. But in this, in this story, every coin she lost represented a day's wages, right? So we'll just use round figures. I don't know how much you make in a day, but don't we wish we made $1,000 a day? Wouldn't that be great? Some of you are like, I receive it, preacher. I don't know if you can do that, but whatever. Here we go. $1,000. Let's say she has $1,000. So each one of these coins represents $100. If you lost $100, are you looking for it? I mean, some of you right now are thinking about looking at somebody else's purse for $100, right? You're thinking about it right now. If I could pull the wallet out from his back pocket, I would look. So she's, she's lost one coin, but it represents more than what we think. Does she light a, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Three observations. Here's the first one. We're always getting lost. Now, I don't mean like lost on... Um, on the way somewhere, although Wendy will tell you that if anybody can get lost, it's me. Um, I was taking a, a youth, a group of youth on a mission trip, an inner, you know, inside the country mission trip, and I think we were going to New York for this one, and I don't know how this happened, but at one point, uh, I called the, the church that I had left here in Albemarle, was at First Assembly, I had left that church, and I don't know how long, how long does it take to get to the state line of Virginia? Two hours? Is that close to something like that? Two and a half hours? So at one point, yeah, that's very true. It does depend. It's a lot of interaction today. It's making me nervous. But um, somewhere around hour four, I called the church and said, shouldn't I be in Virginia by now? <laughs> and that's how they responded too. <laughs> and they're like, he's an idiot. You know, I just got turned around. I mean, I went south when I should have gone north. I don't know what happened. But anyway, four hours later, I still wasn't in Virginia. I mean, if anybody can get lost, it's, it's me. We, we, everybody gets lost. We're always getting lost. All of us. 
all the time. And these two stories, listen, it's really important that we understand who we are in the stories. I don't want to speak for you, but I will say for me, and maybe it relates to you, whenever I read the Bible and I see parables, I tend to want to say that I am represented by the hero, right? Oh, I must be, I must be the man who's going out to look for the sheep, and I must be the woman who's searching for the coin. No. We're the dumb sheep that got lost, and we're the coin that's underneath the couch. God is the one looking for the lost in these stories. We've got to understand that. We're represented by the lost things in these stories, not by the people who were looking, okay? That's really important that we know who we are in these stories. Isn't it weird how no matter how well things could be going in our lives, have you noticed that we just always have this tendency to drift? No matter how well things are going, we just drift a little and then a little. And before long, we're so far off the track, we don't even know how to get back to where we were. There's a reason why Jesus compares us to sheep. And it's because sheep aren't smart. They're actually fairly dumb. Sheep cannot defend themselves. They're just fluffy and cute and need to go on a diet. They just say, bah, that's all they do. That's all they got, right? They're just sheep. We're compared to that. Sheep follow, sheep wander, and sheep need help getting back. Isaiah 53.6 says that we all, everybody say all. We all like sheep have gone astray. So while it's true it is true that we can draw parallels between like how this person looks for the lost things and maybe we should have a heart for the lost. I get all that. It's true that we can draw those parallels, but the bottom line is in these stories, the characters that we relate to, that Jesus is relating us to are the lost things because we're always getting lost. It's the biggest reason why we need these parables, why we need to see, why we find these three lost things in these parables. Jesus is wanting the listeners to know that every one of them, not just the sinners, and she love that? I don't know how your Bible is, but in my Bible, there's air quotes around sinners. So Jesus with, with tax collectors and sinners. I mean, are you an air quote sinner? Right? I don't know what that even means. Like, sinners. He's trying to get a point across to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that you're lost too. And if we don't see that in the first ten verses, I guarantee you, come back next week, oh, you'll see that. He's trying to explain to them I'm here to find lost people, and you're one of them. All of us tend to get lost. I would just say this, that we need to be careful when we start to think that we can't wander off. Well, that's what bad Christians do. When we start to think that we can't wander off, we're in a bad place. And I'm not talking about getting saved every single Sunday. Um, Ephesians 1.14 is a good one to jot down. I think Ephesians 1.14 is clear that the Holy Spirit is able to keep us. He is able to keep us to the day of Jesus Christ. But I need to, we need to recognize that no matter how long we've been following Jesus, we still have a knack for wandering off from him. I know that we do not sing a lot of hymns anymore. And that's okay. I'm just going to say that one of my favorite hymns has these words in it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Take my heart, Lord, and seal it. 
sit before your courts above. There's truth in that. We are prone to wander. And the minute we think we're not, we've allowed pride to take us off track, and we've become a lost sheep. The problem is, in that condition, we're just like the Pharisees, and we don't realize that we're lost. And we need him to find us. Many of you are here this morning, and you recognize it. You see that you're lost. You're in a bad place. You're far from Jesus. You have absolutely no idea where to go. While being lost is not desirable, it does put us in the perfect place to be found. Because here's the second thing that we learn in this story. The Father is always looking for what's lost. We always get lost, but he's always looking for what's been lost. He's always looking for what's lost. And that means that being lost means we can be found. I mean, that's a powerful truth. That's the, that's the big idea I want you to leave with this morning, that being lost means we can be found. Not because we're all that in a bag of chips, but because God is faithful and kind. And here's what I want you to write down. Our Father never calls off the search party. Never. It says about the sheep that that shepherd looked until he found him. It says about the coin that she swept the house and she looked carefully until she found it. We don't have a father who calls off the search party. Now, we have people in our lives who get tired of looking for us, right? We do have that. And we get tired of looking for other people. But our heavenly father never gets tired, never gets tired, and never calls off the search party. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9 says that he does not want anyone to perish, but that all, he wants all to come to eternal life. John 10.14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. You got to think about that for a second. So Jesus is talking to people. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, in the day that he's talking, shepherding is not a job that's good. I don't mean to um, belittle certain jobs, but, like, there are certain jobs in our society that you don't aspire to. You just kind of get given because you couldn't get any other job. That's what shepherding was in this time. So for Jesus to say, I'm the good shepherd was like, wait, what? Can you be a good shepherd? In that day, the shepherds were the, were the people that, um, we were talking about oils this morning for when people don't smell good. Shepherds were the people that you would use those oils around. You would, like, walk behind them with Febreze. You know, just, they just smelled terrible. They're around sheep. They would go out for days and weeks at a time. There's no showers. They just, they were nasty. They were low. And Jesus said, I identify with them. I'm the good shepherd. So we read stories, we read the verses this morning about, you know, Philippians, that God, through Christ, was exalted, given the name above all names. But what does it say right before that? That he humbled himself and he, be, he came in appearance as a man. We have a Savior who so desperately wants to find us that he lowers himself and identifies with the lowest among us shepherds. So I'm a good shepherd. I'm going to find you. Shepherds were not the people that got invited to parties. But Jesus became one. Because Luke 19 says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And look what he did when he found the lost sheep. 
He says, when he finds it, verse 5, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He finds the lost sheep, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he takes that sheep back home. He didn't scold the sheep. He didn't lecture the sheep. Wouldn't that have been great? Oh, you're such a bad sheep. I'm wooly upset with you right now. He didn't scold them. He didn't beat them. He didn't lecture them. He didn't even take them back and put them in his own little private pen so he could never get out again. He put them on his shoulders, and he carried the weight of the one who had wandered off. Back to where? The flock. See, we don't talk about community because it's a cute little buzzword. We talk about community because that's the gospel. You cannot survive on your own. You weren't made to. And when you wander off on, on your own, bad things happen. And so your good shepherd finds you, puts you on his shoulders, and carries you back and places you back into the flock, into community. That's our God. Even the woman that lost her coin, she searched carefully. Look, look at the trouble she went to. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. I mean, look, teens and preteens, this is Saturday chores, am I right? Like Sweeping the house. Like, like she's even moving furniture and looking behind it. I know that when y'all vacuum, you just go as far as you can get that thing under the couch, right? I know how that works because I'm a bad vacuumer too. Even if it's something that I could pick up and move, I don't. I, I figure out ways to get around it. So if you came to my house, sorry, honey, to say this, but if you came to our house, like if we had carpet in all of our rooms, which we don't, because I'm probably the reason we don't, but if we had carpet, you could pick all of our furniture up and you could see that, that spot's not been vacuumed for years. If I was in charge of vacuuming, right? Now Wendy's in charge. She, she does a great job. She cleans better. But if I was in charge, like we'd have these spots that furniture never got moved. This woman... She wasn't taking the easy way out. She moved everything. She swept the entire house. She looked carefully until she found it. I love that. That's our God. That's our Father who would not want, we wouldn't want to be found by anybody else. Who wouldn't want to be found like a dad like that? The people who don't want to be found by that God are those who fear being punished. But that's not the Father that we have. We don't have a father who's trying to find you so he can lecture you and punish you and tell you all the things you did wrong. We have a father who's always looking for what's been lost because of number three. And I love this last point. Because the father is always rejoicing over what's found. Uh, spoiler alert about these stories. God likes to party. Nothing makes him rejoice like the lost being found. Now, we're going to see this in even greater detail next week. But can I just point out to you a couple of these verses here? Uh, verses 6 and verses 9, the same words, rejoice with me. Luke 15, verse 7 says that there would be rejoicing in heaven. I love Luke 15, 10. It says rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Listen, this is cool. I was, as I was studying this week, I was reading, and, and I read this. I'd never thought of this before. I've always heard, like, whenever one of us repents, the angels throw a party, right? But that says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels, so the angels ain't doing it. Who's in the presence of the angels? God. Like, he's rejoicing. Your father is rejoicing because we've been found. And we have a father who's always looking for what's lost and always rejoicing. 
over what's found. He finds joy in finding us. Um, jot these down if you're taking notes. There are two things, there are two ways that we see the value of what's been lost. Here they are. How hard we look for them and how happy we are when we find them. Right? So, again, if you've ever lost something that's important to you and you ask, you try to enlist other people to help you, hey, help me, like, help me find a contact lens that fell on the basketball court. If you've ever done that, that's a lot of fun. Like the person who owns the contact lenses, who are going to actually have to pay to replace the contact lenses, how are they searching? Uh, hands, knees, licking the floor. Anything to find that contact lens, right? Maybe not licking. That was maybe, well, I don't know. Who knows? But the people that they've asked to help them, how are they looking like this? Yeah, I don't really see anything. Well, no kidding, idiot. You got to get on the floor, right? You got to feel around for that little real rubbery thingamajig that's you're never going to see it up here. But the people who are really hunting for that thing are the ones that value it. And the people who are really happy when it's found are the ones who value it. We'll talk more about this next week. But can I just ask you a question? I know we're talking about God and how he rejoices over us. But, I mean, come on, church. Have we honestly lost the joy of seeing lost people found? Have we come to that place where a sinner can repent and we just go, yeah. Have we gotten to the place where we think about how we were found? And we just go, yeah. David said in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And you've got a father who rejoices over what's found. So we already know, we can see how hard he looks for what's lost, but here we get a glimpse into God's heart and how happy he is when he finds what's lost. And I don't know when in the church we made repentance a miserable thing. I mean, we have, haven't we? Like, if I say the word repent, you're like, if we did a word association, I say repent, you don't say butterflies and cotton candy, right? I'm like, I say repent, and you're like, ugh. Ugh, do I have to? Is it like a chore? Are you going to beat me? I don't know when we made repentance such a miserable thing. But you know what I see in these two stories, and we'll see it again next week? What I see in Luke 15 is that repentance and rejoicing go hand in hand. They were never meant to be separated. When lost things repent and return and are restored, party. Like that's what we should be singing the best songs, the, the loudest songs, the fastest songs. That's when even people like me should try to dance. I mean, we should be into it when lost things are found. Not because it's churchy and religious and it makes people want to come to church, but because that's what dad does. Dad rejoices over what's found. We're always getting lost. God's always looking for what's been lost. And he's always rejoicing over what's been found. Listen, that's really good news for the people here this morning who have wandered off, who have wandered from the path, who this morning find themselves far from God. It's good news for us when we allow God to look for what matters most to us. Let's talk about some things that can get lost. Your identity gets lost, our purpose gets lost. Love gets lost. 
you could be here this morning and you could um, have woken up. Well, maybe morning's the bad time to do it. I was going to say you could have woken up this morning and you could have rolled over and seen your spouse and just went. <sighs> but morning breath makes that possible for even the best marriages. So, but, oh, listen, God restores, right? He looks for what's lost and he restores it. And that, that changes everything. It changes everything. Knowing that our Father has the ability to find lost things can actually give us incredible peace. I learned this many years ago in the middle of the night when my lovely daughter, Sydney, woke us up with a blood-curdling scream. Now, what had happened was, <laughs> uh, we have a picture um, of Sydney with her, her favorite brown kitty. Um, do your kids have favorite toys? Do your kids have favorite toys? Um, okay, so Sydney's favorite, favorite, favorite. Sydney, she's getting all the feels right now just thinking about it. Her favorite toy was brown kitty. Now, Sydney, um, Sydney had a really unusual way of naming animals. Brown kitty. She had another one that was um, black striped, and I mean gray striped, and it was gray striped kitty. Um, so this was kind of how she would name them, whatever they look like, polka dot kitty. You know, but this was brown kitty, and by far, that was her favorite, her favorite toy, right? And so uh, we were we were talking last night. I was we were talking about this story, and you know, I was clearing it with her, making sure I could share it. And and um, she was talking about like times that we that we lost Brown Kitty, right? Um, and she said, "Oh, are you going to tell the story about the time that we lost Brown Kitty in Lowe's?" And I went, "I don't think I remember that one." So I got a whole nother story, right? Like we were in Lowe's. I mean, and she we got home, and and that night when she was going to bed, she was like, oh, "Where's Brown Kitty?" And we couldn't find Brown Kitty anywhere. And so the next day, we got in the car and we went back as a family, and we searched through the aisles of Lowe's, just trying to find Brown Kitty. And as it turns out, Will was the hero because he found Brown Kitty, and I don't know how it happened, but he found Brown Kitty in a bucket in Lowe's. And can you just see Will? Like he's probably about, he's probably about this tall, and he's just like, "I got it." You know, he's got brown kitty. Um, I, I could look at this picture all day long. She's so beautiful. Um, and Sydney, too. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> kidding, Sid, just kidding. Uh, so there was, so one night, um, now, now I don't know what your bedtime routines are at your house, but at our house, bedtime routine is, you know, you put the kids in bed, um, you pray with them. And then you say to yourself, you know, tonight we're going to watch some great movie, and then eventually you're sleeping five minutes on the couch. That's usually how it rolls at our house. And so um, Sydney was still young enough to be in her toddler bed. And so I had I'd gone back there, and I'd, I'd put her to bed, you know, the whole deal. She said her prayers. She goes to sleep. And so whenever it's time for us to go to bed, which is, you know, probably much later than that, my routine is I'm, you know, I'm the man, so I've got to remember to lock the door, right? It's, it's my job. I mean, it's, I don't want to sound sexist, but, you know, usually I'm the one that's actually still somewhat halfway awake enough to go do it, and she's going back to get into bed. So I go to the door, and I lock the door, right? So I go, I lock the deadbolt door, and then I turn. And in our big room, um, if you haven't been to our house, you should come and check this out. So the door's here, and then, like, there's a couch right here. And so I, I lock the door, and I turn, and it's super dark, and when I turned, I saw Brown Kitty. Brown Kitty was on the couch staring me down, right? So he, star he startled me. She, I don't even, have we ever talked about that? Boy, girl, I don't even know. But anyway, I'm going to go with he for now. But So I locked the door, and it's like, oh, 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 
oh, it's just Brown Kitty, okay. And I walked past Brown Kitty, and I went and I got into bed, and I went to sleep and, you know, whatever, snoring, drooling, the whole deal, until the scream. And it, I mean, I don't know, parents, you know, that scream, like when kids have a nightmare or whatever, like there's one, it's one thing when they go like, Mom, Dad, but when it's like, ah! You know, we like sat up in the bed, what is happening? I go, I stumble into her room, and she's just out of control, screaming her head off and crying and upset. I'm like, I'm thinking, who died? She's the only one in the room. I mean, I don't even know what's happening. Is there a mouse? Which, if there's a mouse, I'm getting out, and Winnie's going in, right? I gotta, I'm trying to, like, calculate the whole thing, right? And she, here's all she said. Where's Brown Kitty? I mean, and all, all she said, like, in the middle of tears and sobs and the whole, like, snot and the whole deal, like, where's Brown Kitty? Brown Kitty's gone. Brown Kitty's gone. And I remembered that when Brown Kitty had stalked me earlier, I remembered where Brown Kitty was. And I said, I felt so proud of myself. I was like, no, baby, I know where Brown Kitty is. I'll go get Brown Kitty. And so I left the room. And her room's all the way on one side of the house, and the big room's on the other side. So my entire walk to the big room in the nighttime, even though I was tired, was like this. That's right. I'm the man. I know where Brown Kitty is, and I got Brown Kitty. I even talked to Brown Kitty on the way back. I found you. That's right. I got you. She's going to be so happy because I'm the man. And I turned the corner to go give her Brown Kitty, and guess what Sydney was? Sound asleep. Now, I know you're not supposed to wake up kids when they fall asleep. And I didn't. I didn't, but I thought about it, right? I thought I should wake her up and show her how I found Brown Kitty. But I just laid Brown Kitty on the pillow, and then I stumbled back in, and I got into bed. And God spoke to me, and here's what he said. See, Paul, I know how to find the things that matter to you that you've lost. And if you'll trust me, you'll have peace. All Sydney, now she wanted Brown Kitty, but what put her back to sleep was she was really tired. <laughs> no, that wouldn't make the story good, right? That might have been true. What really put her to sleep was my dad's got this. My dad is going to get Brown Kitty. And I did. And I'm just a dude. How much more, our Heavenly Father, how much more can he find lost things? Well, he can't find my lost marriage, Paul. I can tell you that right now. Oh, he can. He can. He absolutely can. I heard a testimony yesterday. I told you earlier about a man who lost his marriage, and six months later it was restored. He can absolutely find your lost marriage. He can't find my lost career. Yes, he can. And actually, he may have helped you lose that one so you can find another one. He can't find my lost child. Oh, he's already looking. More about that next week. He can find lost things, and he does. And being lost means that we can be found. Your father is always looking for what's lost, and he's always rejoicing over what's found. And this morning, here's what I would like to do. I would like to pray for you here this morning who have lost things. Can I, I, I keep trying to throw out some ideas, some things we could pray about. Um, We can't all relate to everything, right? But if I see, if I could just say one thing that I see in, in the American church, which by default means in our church as well, it's passion. 
Your father can help you find lost passion. Revelation says to remember your first love, right? He can help you find that as well. Passion, identity, purpose, a heart for the lost, a desire to grow, hunger for the word. All these things that we tend to lose, he's helping us find them. And I just want to pray this morning for you. Now, obviously, if you're here this morning and you're a guest with us or you've been coming for a long time and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and let me tell you how you know if you do or you don't. You can't speak passionately about what you do not have. You're sitting there going like, this Paul dude, he's a little out there, but he, there's something going on inside of him. There's some passion inside of him for Jesus. And if you don't have that, you've lost something. You've either lost the love of Jesus or you've never known it. And this morning is the perfect time to be here because we're talking about a father who's looking for you. He's looking for you. You're so much more valuable than a sheep, right? Right? I'm pretty sure. And you're so much more valuable than a coin. And he's looking for you. And this morning, he wants to find you. And when he does, guess what he's going to do? Now, I told you, quit wandering off like that. No, he's going to rejoice. I almost picked one dip and put it on my shoulders just then. In my head, I did it, but it would have not been good, so... She's like, hallelujah, right? Can you just close your eyes and let's, let's, let's just give you the chance to respond. Listen, I, I am more and more convinced that um, I, I want to be the best preacher ever and I want to give the best information ever, but information is not going to change you. It's not going to change me. It's what we do with it, right? It's, it's the action that accompanies knowing that leads to transformation. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to, take an, to make an action. I'm going to ask you to, to do something. And this is simply just because when we respond, it'll, it gives God room to just begin to move and operate in our lives. And if you want prayer beyond this, I'll be here at the front. I would love to pray with you even more than this. But for right now, as we begin to wrap this up, I'm going to ask you, if you're here this morning, and you, you, have, you have things in your life that are lost. And you've almost even given up hope that God could find it. But this morning, just hearing us talk about these, two, these two, two stories, you are full of the faith to believe that God is a God who finds lost things. He will never call off the search party for this thing that matters to you. Whether it's marriage, relationships, your, your, your soul, Whatever it is, he's looking for it, and he knows where to find it. And this morning, I want to pray that that gives you peace. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me? I want to pray with you. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. All right, you just keep that hand up while I pray, okay? Father, in your name, Jesus, I'm asking that the God that we've been reading about and talking about for the last 20, 20 minutes or so, I pray that you would, you're a revelation of who you are. You are always looking for what's lost. You don't get mad at us because we're lost. You don't get mad at us because we've wandered off the path. You just kind of look at us and go, oh, that's right, they're sheep, and I'm the shepherd, and you're coming to find what's lost. I thank you that uh, while we might give up, 
We may be like me and say, I'm not, I'm not moving the furniture anymore. You never give up. You're always looking. You're always moving the furniture. You're always sweeping the whole house. You're looking carefully to find the lost coin. And I just pray, first and foremost, God, that you would fill those of us here who are struggling and hurting over lost things. I pray that you would fill us with the faith to believe that our dad is on it. He's not calling off the search party. He's on it. He knows where Brown Kitty is. He knows where what I've lost is, and he's going to find it, and he's going to restore it, and I can trust that. And I'm praying just that that peace, God, that passes all understanding would fill our hearts and our minds this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.